You know what will keep you warm in the great white north? A little true crime with your host, Megs and Jess. Recording? I'm recording. And now I'm recording. Now we're both recording. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Saturday. Yes, happy Saturday. (laughs) Did you guys get some snow yet? Nope, not yet. Wow. Not yet, I know, but they're... When I looked on the little weather app on my phone, I see there's snowflakes <laughs> besides like Monday and Tuesday. So it's I always mean. so pretty the first snowfall. I will say that's one thing living yeah. back in a rainy city we don't have, but uh, I loved, I will say that about it, growing up in Edmonton, I loved the first snowfall if I didn't have to drive anywhere. <laughs> Like well, you just need all-wheel drive, and then you That's can true. you can be a happy. No, it's driver. the other drivers. <laughs> just like everyone, just is like chaos when it snows. The first snowfall, it's like people. That this is happens true. Every single year, <laughs> I know it's like people forget how to drive, and then there's like there's always like I don't know like the news is all about how many accidents there were that day, and then sheer like, panic. Oh, right. yeah. yeah, I know. I know, but it is so pretty, and it's just I like it too because it's just. That little bit closer to Christmas time, which is my favorite time of year. And you know what else I like, too? Because my kids love being outside. They will build, I mean, snow forts, and they lo- And I'm glad that they love it. Is The nice thing about Alberta is that it can be minus 30, but the sun's out shining. And that makes totally. a difference. And it's like a dry cold, so it's totally different. If you're bundled up, you can still enjoy the outdoor activities. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we ski and, you know, playing outside and so... I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> Here, I you know I don't have kids, but I'm, enjoy it. My friends that have kids, you can't really be like, go play in the rain, kids, and come back drenched no, and right? cold. <laughs> yeah, it's totally different. I agree. I kind of, I don't know. I would prefer the snow than having rain all the time. To be honest with you, even though I love BC and how gorgeous and lush mm-hmm. it is, I mean, the flowers there are just stunning. I love it. Don't get me wrong, but I prefer our winter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Yeah, I can't plug in my car anymore, shovel walk. So I'm going to take the green <laughs> green all year round and rain. I like stylish umbrellas, and I've got some really cute hunter boots. <laughs> I don't – yeah, see, I, I don't like damp cold. So, yeah, we are no, where I, we're supposed to be. <laughs> I don't think anyone does, but that's this is the season for delicious, warm, hot toddies, it you is. know? So I there know. you go. Do you have a winter so, cocktail? Like, what's your That is my winter co- – I think a hot toddy or yeah. – uh, Blueberry tea. Ooh, I had this. I had this like hot toddy when we were in Banff, and it was like blueberry tea, amaretto. It, oh mm-hmm. gosh, it was so good. I'd have to try and find the recipe. I should do that. So on <laughs> on that note, if you're listening, you should make yourself a hot toddy or a blueberry tea and listen to the next episode. Today, I want to tell you about a retired married couple in their late 70s who decide to go on a road trip in their beloved RV to visit family and friends. What was supposed to be a fun adventure took a sinister detour. They were never seen again. A year later, a 38-year-old man would be charged with their murders. This is the story of Lyle and Marie McCann. Listener discretion is advised as this episode contains sensitive topics. It is not recommended for young audiences. 
While we are not detectives nor journalists, we would like to thank those who followed this case and researched the facts. With your information, we can readily share this story with our audience. All victims deserve a voice. Let us begin episode 20. If you're from Alberta and have made a road trip to beautiful British Columbia, you know precisely the kind of scenery you would experience. While the Alberta prairies are known for their vast skies and flat lands, there happens to be some iconic landscapes, the Rocky Mountains for one. Anyone who has been knows all too well those breathtaking views, which you and I both do since we love our little road trips. For 78-year-old Lyle Thomas McCann and his wife of almost 60 years, 77-year-old Marie Ann McCann, those views are exactly what was expected on their vacation from their hometown of St. Albert, Alberta, to visit the farming community of Chilliwack, British Columbia. A roughly 11 and a half hour drive, the McCanns knew their green and white 1999 Gulfstream Sun Voyager motorhome would be the perfect way to experience those exquisite Alberta and BC landscapes. An added bonus of the McCann motorhome was the ability to tow along their small seafoam green Hyundai Tucson SUV. <laughs> it's cute. It's a cute color. The convenience of a portable home in an RV and a vehicle on hand would make their trip that much more enjoyable for the retired couple. The couple departed their home in St. Albert on a warm morning on July 3rd, 2010 to begin their much-awaited vacation. Around 9.30 a.m., Lyle and Marie pulled into a superstore gas station close to their home to make sure the Sun Voyager was fueled and ready to go. Surveillance footage shows Lyle filling the motorhome's tank while Marie entered the store to shop for groceries. 30 minutes later, as the camera footage would show, Lyle hopped back into the driver's seat of the large motorhome to head out of town. One of their destinations was Cutlass Lake, roughly 20 minutes south of Chilliwack, and considered the jewel of the Fraser Valley in B.C., The couple planned on driving about five hours on their first day of the adventure to a place called Blue River, B.C. Lyle was a retired long-haul trucker who was known for his storytelling, so I can imagine their road trip adventure left Marie in a state of happiness. Because when you're on the road as a long-haul trucker, I mean, you have to, one, entertain yourself, but I'm sure it's also lovely to have someone join you. Lyle would drive his long-haul truck through Western Canada for most of his career. Having lived in St. Albert, which is just outside of Edmonton, since the 1960s, both Lyle and Marie had a multitude of good friends, and not only their children, but grandchildren and great-grandchildren as well. They had three grown children, Brenton, Lance, and Trudy. They had five grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. To continue his love of driving, Lyle purchased a motorhome in 2004. He kept it immaculate, having most people assume it was bought brand new. I can happily relate to that since that is how my car looks. Like many snowbirds, Lyle and Marie would sometimes head south in their motorhome to the U.S. to escape the frigid cold Alberta winters. Fishing was one of Lyle's favorite hobbies. Marie loved to bake. Lyle was always the one to plan the well-detailed trips for him and Marie. Having an organized step-by-step road trip in their motorhome assured smooth sailing. A cell phone was always near Lyle and Marie while they were in their motorhome. 
Having spent so many years as a long-haul truck driver meant Lyle was also a very cautious and responsible driver. Lyle and Marie had planned to pick up their daughter, Trudy Holder, at the Abbotsford Airport, 30 minutes from their final destination in Chilliwack, a week later on July 10th. When her parents had not arrived to pick her up, Trudy became worrisome. Her father was always on time. So she immediately called the RCMP to report something suspicious. The Mounties began an investigation into the couple's disappearance, and it came to light that Lyle and Marie had never made it to any of the campsites that they had planned on staying that week. Trudy thought perhaps her parents got in a car accident, but there were no road reports that could back that theory up. Plus, it seems pretty highly unlikely he would get in an accident as a long-haul truck driver. Uh, Lyle had done that for most of his life. Meanwhile, little did Trudy nor the BC Police Services know, firefighters responded to a call on the evening of July 5th about a motorhome on fire at the Minnow Lake campground near Edson, Alberta, only two hours from St. Albert. It was around 7 p.m. on July 5th, two days after the McCann couple embarked on their motorhome adventure, when firefighters responded to a large vehicle fire in a campsite. It took firefighters over an hour to get to the campsite since Edson was not in the vicinity of the location. The motorhome was actually in a forest cut line. The fire was quite intense, blowing out the windshield of the large motorhome about 20 feet away and engulfing all of its tires. Once the firefighters put the flames out, they looked inside the motorhome. No bodies were found inside. The fire was so charred, no human could have survived it regardless. I mean, there was basically nothing left of it. There was hardly anything left inside. The outside was just, I mean, it's just the remnants, basically. So police... That sounds like a set fire. Exactly. Police were soon called in. The interesting thing is police just assumed it was probably an abandoned motorhome as they had discovered others previously that had also been set on fire. There was no concrete evidence to back that theory up, sadly. The interesting thing is when they did do, you know, look through the motorhome and such, they actually found uh, an updated RV registration, which was linked to Lyle and Marie McCann. Police spoke with those at the campsite to get some insight into the whereabouts of the owners. The campsite was very small. There are only nine reserve spots, and it's sort of a horseshoe-shaped campground. The caretaker of the campground, Rolf Winass, did see the McCann Motorhome and their SUV in the early morning hours of July 5th. He arrived at 6.30 a.m. to check the self-registration box and clear away any garbage. In Site 8... He saw a motorhome and a green SUV he would later identify as belonging to the McCanns based on media reports. The motorhome was backed into the site, he said, and the SUV pulled along Ford beside it. When he knocked on the motorhome door that morning to get some registration information, no one answered. The motorhome blinds were drawn so he could not see inside. Rolf checked if it was registered and discovering it wasn't, he knocked on the door. Quote, I waited about 15 minutes, but there was nobody around, so I left. He observed that all the curtains were drawn and the motorhome hadn't been jacked up to the level as it would be in common practice when setting up camp. 
So it seemed like it wasn't either it was just going to be there temporarily or someone put it there and didn't know that's what you were supposed to do. Sorry, so they were there, their planned out camp spots, that was not that one, was of, not them. one of them. Because they okay. had planned on driving five hours that first day, and this is less than two hours from St. Albert. Yeah. Okay. So when Rolf returned again, he knocked again. This is about 12.30 p.m., so about six hours later. There was still no change. The motorhome was there. The SUV was there. He waited 15, 20 minutes. There was no, like, no answer, so he left. He returned a third time that day at 9.30 p.m. to once again check the self-registration box for money, and there was still nothing. So at that point, he said he spoke to a park ranger and a tow truck driver to get it towed. Quote, that's when I found out the motorhome had been burnt, he said. Mountie soon phoned the McCann home. No answer. They quickly sent officers to knock on the door in the St. Albert home, and no answer. No one was home. The RCMP promptly began a province-wide search for the missing couple. Images of the couple quickly sprouted up at gas stations and on billboards. I remember that. I know. I wish I would have. It was huge. I wish I would have seen it. I didn't know about this case. Mm-hmm. On July twelfth, RCMP confirmed the discovery of the burnt McCann motorhome in connection to Trudy's missing parents. Police continued to search the campsite for evidence. This is interesting. The RCMP never put up yellow tape when the fire took place. They never really blocked off the area. And that was also come, you know, I'll talk about it later, but that came to be a lot of, uh, you know, red, red flags sort of in the case mishandling as it Mm -hmm. went. And, you know, who knows, perhaps in their minds, a fire on a $150,000 motorhome wasn't out of the ordinary because they had found ones previous. And I could totally understand Mm -hmm. if it was a motorhome maybe from the 70s or 80s and it's so old, whatever. But this one was only, you know, just over 10 years old. And it was, as, you know, friends and family said, it was kept immaculate. So it looked brand new. So what was missing from the Minnow Lake campsite uh, the night of the fire was the McCann Seafoam Green SUV. Police were baffled as to what happened to the McCann couple as there was no trace of them. A multi-jurisdictional search between Alberta and British Columbia was in full force. Police said the motorhome and the Hyundai were seen in the campground just hours before the fire was reported, but no one is to say exactly who drove that motorhome into that campground. On July 13th, 10 days after firefighters put out the McCann motorhome, a woman named Diana Borgelung and her father, Everett, walked into the RCMP detachment in Prince George, BC. They informed police they saw a vehicle on July 8th, so five days after the fire or McCann's had left, that matched the description of their seafoam green Hyundai Tucson. Diana said they had written down the license plate on Thursday, July 8th, because the vehicle was moving so slowly and seemed very out of place. The RCMP took this information but failed to act quickly enough on it. So at this time, nine days had passed since Lyle and Marie McCann were last seen. Diana said she was insulted at how she was treated at the detachment on July 12th and almost didn't return. Quote, they never asked our names, our phone numbers, or nothing, she said. Sadly, the information received from Diana and her father was misleading. In other words, a red herring. Quote, I think from the get-go, this has been a botched investigation, said Bill Pitt, a criminologist and former RCMP officer in Edmonton. 
I think five precious days have been lost, and I think the lives of two people lie in the balance. The scene of the burned vehicle would have been forensically compromised by weather, wild animals. So by the time police combed through it, looking for clues, it was almost next to impossible to collect evidence. I mean, honestly, if I saw a $155,000, $50,000 vehicle being burned in the middle of nowhere, I'd start asking some pretty pertinent questions. And from what I've read, yeah, I don't think that happened in this case. So the same day that Diana informed police of the spotting of the McCann SUV, their son, Brett McCann, spoke at a news conference. Quote, we know you're out there. You may be hurt, but we're looking as hard as we can. Mountie soon issued a public plea for any information from tipsters. Like most families, issues arise between siblings. For Trudy, sadly, that was the case. She had not spoken to her two brothers in quite some time before the disappearance of their parents. Lyle and Marie's middle son, Lance, was an alcoholic, which caused a very strained relationship between him and Trudy. But despite the difficulties the siblings faced, Lyle and Marie themselves had a great relationship with each other. Their age was starting to show as Marie was starting to become more forgetful than normal. The community of St. Albert, who knew the McCann family, remembered them as loving, generous, and meticulous with regards to vehicles and yard. A good friend and neighbor described Marie as a dear person, a dear soul, and described Lyle as a gentleman, kind, a man who always did what he said he was going to do. On the evening before the big adventure, Lyle and his eldest son, Brett, enjoyed some father-son quality time. Brett said his goodbyes, but not before giving his dad a gift to pass along to his new grandchild, Lyle and Marie's great-grandchild. Lyle and Marie were supposed to pass along the gift once they got to BC and met the newest member of the McCann family. Sadly, the meeting of their newest great-grandson would never happen. I was going to say, I mean, especially knowing like their personality and what they're like and then hearing like for their kids to hear like you know their their motor home was found like they knew uh, like something's wrong that'd be obviously this is not good oh of course yeah Mm-hmm. right right no, away oh they mm-hmm. i mean everyone knew something was going on on july 16th 13 days after the mccann's left for their much anticipated adventure someone discovered their small suv about 30 kilometers east of edson alberta their vehicle was found off a bush trail and was a total mess unlike how the mccann's kept their property there were copious amounts of evidence found inside the suv but none having to do with the mccann's whereabouts when the evidence was examined by forensics they discovered a bunch of evidence DNA was found on the steering wheel and armrest of the McCann's SUV, on a can of beer in the front cup seat holder, and on two of Lyle McCann's baseball hats found inside the vehicle. One of the hats Lyle was actually wearing in the surveillance video at the Superstore gas station that first morning. RCMP announced the disappearance of the elderly couple was officially foul play. Simultaneously, they also announced a person of interest. 38-year-old Travis Edward Vader. Yes, like Darth Vader. RCMP released his photo and asked for information on the whereabouts of Travis. The reason for the interest in Travis came from his so-called friend, Bandana David Olson. I'm going to go on a limb here and assume that Bandana David Olson got that nickname because he 
liked colorful head attire. And when I looked his photo online, it is a very accurate statement. <laughs> Dave, as he was called most often, was under police watch for growing weed. Dave said he wanted to get something off of his chest with regards to his so-called friend, Travis. He stated Travis, who he only knew for eight months, was constantly smoking meth and drinking. Travis had lost his job previously and blew his last paycheck, just a rough $100,000, no big deal. Travis had a crucial interest in stealing vehicles, especially trucks. He had his own vehicle taken away because of failed payments, among other things. It is believed Travis stole about 25 cars. It sort of makes me think of my episode on The Last Man Hanged in Canada. He loved to steal cars as well. It was thrilling and easy for him, which is probably maybe perhaps the same with Travis. The crazy thing is that Robert Cook stole cars back in the 1950s, which was probably a lot easier, whereas Travis was stealing them, you know, in the mid-90s and on. Like, So he was stealing cars to get by, and he was known to destroy vehicles he stole. He would set them on fire. Travis also had a girlfriend at the time of the disappearance of Lila Marie McCann. Her name was Amber William. Bandana Dave told police that Travis was very agitated on July 3rd because he could not reach his girlfriend that day. Quote, he told me he was broke, David said. He needed some oil for the truck he was driving. Dave would later tell the court he saw Travis twice on July 3rd, 2010. He said Travis first showed up to his mobile trailer driving a gray dually pickup truck with a tidy tank in the back. And the exact truck, a Ford dually pickup truck, was found abandoned on July 17, 2010, with the interior burnt out. A month later, on August 16, 2010, investigators found the McCann's SUV key in the back of that very same truck. Oh, I mean, come on. Exactly. Dave said he gave Travis some lawnmower oil to put in the car, which is interesting because that would obviously wreck your car, which then, of course, it did. Travis returned two hours later driving a new car, a green seafoam SUV. That, it's such a distinct, like... It's a very distinct color. It is not, the average person doesn't buy a seafoam green car. Which is probably good in this case because everybody recognized right away knew it exactly yeah it was i mean it was like a white suv you know people probably wouldn't have paid attention but because of this distinct Mm -hmm. color so the interesting thing is when travis went to visit dave he parked the green suv like he backed it all the way instead of just driving it in the driveway he backed it all the way and the reason he did that is because in alberta as you know you only need one license plate and that's in the back whereas bc We have front and back license plates. So very clever thinking on Travis's part because it takes way more effort to back in a car down a driveway versus just driving it straight in, especially when that car does not belong to you. So right there, it's suspicious. Travis sent Dave to a nearby store to buy a $25 phone card and a case of beer. And interesting enough, at this point, Travis never had any money. He was always broke, but all of a sudden he has money to get beer and buy a car, like a car um, phone card. So that was an interesting thing too, which was also what Dave Bandana Dave had said. Travis was continuously on his phone trying to get in touch with his girlfriend, Amber. 
After drinking a few beers with Travis, Dave said their mutual friend, Miles Ingersoll, pulled up. Miles told Dave he saw a news report how an elderly couple was missing and to keep a lookout for their seafoam green SUV. He said he was concerned Travis may have had something to do with the McCann disappearance. Dave then told the RCMP his concerns over his so-called friend Travis. The RCMP were skeptical as Dave wasn't necessarily a reliable source of information for pretty much anything. Regardless, RCMP decided to follow up with the lead. The RCMP questioned Miles, who confirmed that, yes, he did see Travis with a seafoam green SUV, complete with a towing bar in the front bumper. When Miles had arrived, he parked behind the the green SUV that was parked in the driveway. Shortly after Miles arrived, though, Travis needed to leave, which meant taking the SUV with him. Miles said he backed up the car to let Travis out and noticed, uh, noticed that's when he really got familiar with the, the color of the car. It wasn't too long after police began their hunt for Travis, who they knew all too well for his previous crimes and convictions. Travis had multiple outstanding warrants at the time and a criminal history, including vehicular vehicular theft in 1995, possession of break-in tools, driving a motor vehicle while unauthorized, operating an irregular motor vehicle and trailer, and weapons charges in August of 2009. In December of 2009, Travis, the man with the villain's last name, was charged with stealing and burning a truck. In 2010, he was also charged again, this time with careless use of a firearm and unauthorized possession of a firearm. Three days after RCMP found the McCann SUV, they also found 38-year-old Travis. He was arrested on July 19, 2010, 45 kilometers east, east of Edson, Alberta. Travis Vader was originally from Knighton Junction, Alberta, but he did not have a fixed address at the time of his arrest. I had to Google Knighton Junction. Do you know what that is? I've heard of it. It's basically, it's 30 minutes from Edson, so it's sort of in the middle of Edson, okay. like yeah. outside, so close to actually where the motorhome was set on fire. Travis was initially arrested for a bunch of outstanding warrants, actually none concerning the disappearance of Lyle and Marie McCann. But one thing he did have on him was a cell phone, which police seized from, which would then be used against him in court. Travis Bader said nothing the entire time. Could a financially destitute man who was so desperate for meth kill two innocent elderly individuals and dispose of their bodies without a trace? It seems Travis's defense attorneys had their hands full. On November 4th, 2010, Travis failed to appear in court, so he was arrested yet again and had to serve 30 days in jail. Over a year after the McCann disappearance, Travis was still in jail awaiting for his trial with his involvement of Marie and Lyle. At this point, Lyle and Marie were still missing and no signs of them. At that time, the court ruled Lyle and Marie McCann were both officially deceased indicating that they had died the day their motorhome was burnt out. A funeral was held for friends and families to say their goodbyes. A billboard was placed offering a large reward with any information about the senior couple. On December 12, 2011, in Evansburg, Alberta, more charges were laid on Travis Vader. Careless use of a firearm, possession of a stolen property, driving while unauthorized were, were a few. 
Basically, Travis was not getting out of jail anytime soon, which would make sense because it's right. almost as if the courts wanted him to because totally. the case of Lyle and Marie McCann was still ongoing. I mean, I've seen that in other cases where oh, totally. right away they'll they'll check to see if there's other out, old outstanding warrants just to get them mm-hmm. in. No, exactly. So the police were trying to work their way through Travis's friends and family, and one was through his sister. Several undercover RCMP officers were getting closer to Travis's sister, Bobby Joe, who saw her brother in the days after the McCanns disappeared. Previously, Bobby Joe Vader had spoken with investigators and consented to a DNA sample. Quote, she talked about how her brother couldn't have done it, but gave herself a disclaimer by saying, I was pretty fucked up at the time. So indicating she was also, like her brother, a drug addict. The undercover officers recruited the very motivated Bobby Joe Vader for odd jobs to gain her trust. She drove from Edmonton to Calgary with a false co-worker and stopped to visit her brother at the Red Deer Remand Center in one operation. Another time, she was on a train to Winnipeg with two undercover officers when she suddenly changed her story she'd previously told uniformed RCMP. She said she believed that Travis was involved in the murders and she saw guns wrapped up in blankets that could have come from the McCann's motorhome. Brett McCann, the oldest son, told investigators his father, yes, did own guns, but he couldn't say whether he had them with him in the motorhome on the trip. When Travis finally went to trial, a number of witnesses testified Travis was at a rooming house in Edmonton between July 4th and July 9th. Suspicious things with Travis came to light during the trial, like how someone used the McCann's cell phone on July 3rd, beginning at 2.14 p.m., to call and text Amber Williams, Travis's girlfriend. And so it would obviously make sense it was Travis, because I'm pretty sure the McCann's did not know who Amber Williams was, who, by the way, also was another meth, meth addict. The defense floated the idea of an alternate suspect, Terry McColeman. He was the one that sent a text message to Amber saying, quote, it's me, T. At one time, Terry was in Travis's circle of friends, but sadly is now deceased. Travis's defense team argued Terry was the author of those texts and not uh, texts and calls and not Travis himself. Prosecution pointed out that evidence from numerous witnesses who testified they took drugs with Travis theorized he robbed the McCann's to get money for his next fix. The defense argued that perhaps Bandana Dave and Miles had something to do with it and then just set Travis up. It would make sense, but unfortunately, Travis's DNA was linked to the SUV. He was on the cup holder on the steering wheel, so it's hard to explain that. And it also seems odd because Travis was the like a complete and utter car thief. So... You know, it it's one of those things. It's like, well, did Travis go from stealing easy trucks to literally stopping an older couple in an RV, towing a small SUV behind them to get money on his next drug fix? But when you're that cracked out on meth, I think anything is probably possible. And both the Crown and the defense agree that Travis would, at this point, only be convicted on circumstantial evidence because there are no bodies. Travis had all his DNA all over that SUV, which is guilt for the car theft, but not necessarily murder, which is what the defense was trying to get at. And honestly, from the beginning of this case, you know, it was argued in court that the RCMP was negligent in the handling of it, which 
added two years of delay to the prosecution. In the end, Travis Bader was charged with first-degree murder in April of 2012, almost two years after the discovery of the McCann's burnt-out motorhome and their vehicle they'd been towing was discovered in a bush. On October 31st, 2016, the second-degree murder conviction was reversed and Travis was then convicted of manslaughter, which is the crime of a killing of a human being without malice or otherwise in circumstances now not amounting to murder. He was sentenced to life imprisonment, which is actually a huge sentence considering there are no bodies. Quote, the one individual who knows where my parents are has said nothing this whole time. Brett McCann told that to a sentencing hearing in December 2016, six years after his parents' disappearance. Travis Vader, where are the bodies of my parents? Vader, who maintained his innocence throughout the trial and several appeals, has refused to say. Dane Lloyd, who was an Alberta MP, won his by-election promising to fight for a Canadian no body, no parole law and introduced Bill C-437 or what he called the McCann's Law in March of 2019. This process was then interrupted by the federal election, but Lloyd, who's newly re-elected, hopes to reintroduce, reintroduce the bill during a new session of parliament. He basically wants to say, it doesn't matter if there's no body, like, you're guilty, all the evidence points to you. Lyle and Marie McCann's bodies have never been discovered, and to this day, the fate of Lyle and Marie McCann is one of Alberta's true crime mysteries. It's a crazy story. It's so heartbreaking. I mean, have you seen their pictures online? They're just like oh, they're super, super sweet. sweet couple, just enjoying their retirement, and to to have this happen is just I don't know. It's it's so tragic. And I mean, what kind of person is he to just be sitting there, knowing that? You know, hit, their family needs closure. Like, let them at least. But it's it's also one of those things, too, because he was such a meth head that you kind of think of drug addicts. Like, you obviously, I mean, think about getting, you know, a little bit drunk. You're like, oh, I did that the night before. It's almost one of those things. I mean, did you just honestly forget you did this? And just, I don't know. I just all of a sudden came across a green SUV. I mean, there's drug addicts who don't commit murder. I no, I'm not saying committing murder, but I'm saying, like, you're so out of it. Oh, there's tons of people that, you know, they've done. This yeah. is, like, Oh, I see what you're done. saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, you know, obviously, there's still – it's still an open investigation 11 years later. Almost so 12. I was – I'm surprised, though, that he got – he got a manslaughter charge, but he was still – got life in prison. Mm-hmm. I didn't think you could get that with a manslaughter. Well, that's charge. what I'm saying. It was a super unusual, yeah. that's, that was a super unusual charge. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's an unusual charge because there are no bodies to prove that he actually did murder because like what his defense said, yes, of course there's DNA ever that he loved to steal cars. He stole a car. He could have saw that no one was at the motorhome, you know, the campsite stole the SUV and pieced out. Cause that's possible, but it seems highly. I unlikely. mean, where, right. And where are they? And also you used, you used their phone, which the Brett McCann, the oldest son said his parents never used a cell phone unless they were in the motorhome and they needed it. So the fact that you called your girl or someone supposedly called your girlfriend from their exact cell phone the day that the motorhome was burnt out, that's just, you know, suspicious in its own. I wonder where he kind of met them at, like what point? They don't know. That's the, that's like, that's the ongoing theory too, Mm -hmm. because you know, the McCann's would have had to, because even 
you know, they, it's only two hours. You wouldn't have had to fill up the motorhome no. already. And that's like why I asked. I was like, wait, are, were they, were they su- supposed to be at this campground? But they were not. No, they weren't supposed to be at this right. campground at all. That's why the registration, the mm-hmm. manager of the campsite, you know, was a little ticked that they, they hadn't paid to stay there. And that's not like them because, you know, all three children said, are, you know, Lyle was, their father was meticulous on road trips because he did that his whole like life as a career. I don't think they so, were in that motorhome. No, 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 they weren't. But I think, yeah. yeah, but it's interesting to know, well, where, because as you know, it becomes mm-hmm. very remote as you drive like that trip to Jasper, it's quite remote, but it's still not, you'd have to pull off at a truck stop or somewhere that, you know, which there, obviously we both know there's lots of places you could do that, but it's interesting to say, cause no eyewitnesses, saw the McCanns like they never no, saw them no ctv no because it's, it's called, no yeah. it's in the middle they only saw them. the last footage of them is at superstore so it's really interesting i wanted to thank you so much again for listening and subscribing to our show if you haven't already please tell your friends family and coworkers about our little show and leave us a review on apple Podcasts. For updates or to see photos from this case, please follow us on Instagram at Great White North Crimes and or join our Facebook page, True Crimes in the Great White North. Have any questions? Please email us at truecrimesgwn at gmail.com. Till next time, true crime fans. Thanks, Megs. Thanks, Jess. We find out. I mean, I'm hopeful that someday, somehow, somebody will find the remains of my parents. I mean, there's a lot of... There's a tremendous amount of bush up there, but there are hunters and fishers going through that. In fact, those are the kind of people we focused on uh, with our posters initially. So I think over time, this may take a long time, but I I think that uh, they'll be found. Uh, Unless hopefully, and I don't think this is likely, but uh, possibly Vader might Sense, uh, have a sense of remorse and uh, give some information that way. But uh, overall, I'm hopeful in that. I mean, this will take a while. This will be over the years, but I'm hopeful that they'll be found.